Adam Beechin grew up in the exceptionally long shadows of Tom Chambers and Alvin Adams in Phoenix, Arizona, dreaming of one day playing professional basketball himself. Reaching a height of only 5'9", that dream never got on track. But fortunately, Adam's other love, writing, was where he ended up truly making his mark. Adam has built a 20-year career writing for television and comic books, penning stories for Batman Beyond, Teen Titans, and The Pink Panther. He also co-created a graphic novel entitled Hench, which studios have been circling for a film adaptation. Not bad for a guy who has no jump shot to speak of, and a three-inch vertical. Has Adam ever accidentally given Batman Scooby-Doo dialogue? Which is more fun, writing for television or comic books? Do Batman writers really write those crazy sound effects with 12 Zs? Adam will answer all these questions and more on the Scripts and Scribes podcast right now. Welcome to the Scripts and Scribes podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Kevin Fukunaga. Today, we're talking with television and comic book writer Adam Beechin. Uh, thanks for joining us, Adam. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. My pleasure. My pleasure. Uh, how was Passover with the family? <laughs> uh, Passover was lovely. Thank you. Uh, uh, it was uh, properly celebrated and uh, reverentially so. Excellent. Excellent. It's yes. always good. Um, yes. Now, you're a television and comic book writer. Uh, do you find it sort of challenging switching gears, uh, you know, writing for television, uh, you know, which is normally done, you know, at least partially in a writer's room with a team of writers uh, versus writing comic books, which is, you know, generally a solitary endeavor? There's a couple different ways to answer that. Um, as far as the writing for television, it really depends on the show, uh, particularly in animation. Sometimes you're in a room breaking the story with the story editor who's the head writer, and sometimes you're not. Sometimes the story has already been broken when it's handed to you and you're just told to go off and write it, or all of the development of the story is done via the phone or via the uh, Internet, and you never actually wind up in an office or in a room with anybody. Very few animated shows these days uh, have traditional writing staffs that, that sit around together and come up with stories and, and rewrite each other's jokes and so on. Um, so it does happen, uh, but not as often as you might think, given the traditional model of, of writing for, you know, say, a primetime show. Right. Um, as far as the differences between writing for animation, writing for comics, for me it's a big difference. I find writing for comics much more difficult, and people who read my comics can probably tell. <laughs> um, uh, it's just a, it's such a different, uh, not a format, but a different way of thinking, because when you're writing for comics, at least the way I write the scripts, I'm putting in a description of every panel and really thinking about the pacing of a page and the pacing of a scene, whereas in animation, and maybe it's just because I've done more animation than comics, right. um, I'm, I'm thinking more in terms of the act breaks and, and just getting the story material out. Uh, so I find writing, writing comics to be a lot more complex and time-consuming than writing animation. Okay. Now, talking about animation, how is writing scripts for animation different than writing for live action? Uh, you do a lot more uh, directing on the page in animation. And by that I mean calling out shots like close up here or pan across the scene to this or a worm's eye view or a, a bird's eye view. You're, you're, you're seeing more in your head about how you want things uh, to appear on the screen and so you're transmitting that to the director via the script. Whereas in live action, the director uh, uh, will have a lot more control over 
um, I shouldn't say control, but but make the primary choices as to how something's going to be shot. Sure. Uh, so uh, scripts for animation tend to be a little more detailed, I think, than they do for live action. Okay. Um, now, you also write for a wide range of, of <laughs> titles and, and, and shows. Uh, I've yeah. Everything from Batman Beyond and Scooby-Doo. Now, tonally, writing for something like Batman Beyond... Uh, and writing something like Scooby-Doo or Rugrats, uh, you know, obviously it's very different. Is that sort of a good change of pace for you, switching between projects like that? Or, you know, or do you have to like complete one before you start another to avoid that sort of crossover? <laughs> well, no, I mean, I've been really lucky to work on such a wide range of stuff from, you know, from Rugrats to uh, the Batman um, mm -hmm. and everything in between. So, uh, and I think I would go nuts probably if I had to write the same thing in the same tone for an entire career. Uh, so for me, I love the challenge of, of having to sort of change voices with every project. Um, but that's the job. Uh, the job when you're a freelancer in animation uh, is to approximate the voice of whatever show you're working on. So you have to become kind of a... Uh, a mimic, if you will. And the more able you are to do that, uh, chances are the more success you'll have. So, and you develop that as you go on through your career. At first it might be kind of tough. You think, no, that's not the way this character should say something. Uh, it's funnier if the character says this, and you turn that in, and then the story editor says, that's a funny joke, but uh, it's not really the voice of our character. And if right. you go back and look at our other episodes, you'll see that. Right. And you do. You learn that as you go along. Uh, it can be a tough lesson to learn early on, but it, you do learn it. Um, and the same is true with with comics, I think. Um, it's, I think, difficult to impose uh, your own voice and storytelling style on a comic book character that's been around for 75 years. Um, because there's so much that's already established about that character and its world that uh, that if you really come in and try and you know reinvent the wheel, unless you're somebody like a, a Grant Morrison or a, a, an Alan Moore, you're going to have a, a really hard time, I think, with acceptance from the from the readers. Um, uh, I think I forgot what the question was. <laughs> oh, I was just tonally, you know, how is it different writing for oh. something like a Batman Beyond versus a Rugrats? And, well, and how do you going keep back it straight? To, yeah, no, going back to Batman Beyond, I think the benefit I have is that Batman Beyond was a TV series mm -hmm. before it was a comic book. So there is a certain amount of voice that's already established. And I can I can follow that and build on it, uh, which I'm trying to do. And and that's a that's difficult, incredibly difficult, because the tone of the show was so specific and so great. Writers like Paul Dini and Alan Burnett and, and putting together such amazing stories, um, but building on it and sort of expanding that world and showing details they didn't show, trying to keep it uh, in line with what they were doing with the animated series is a bit of a tightrope. Um, and so far we seem to be doing okay with it, but it's, it's, uh, it's definitely a challenge. Right. Um, so I, I, how did you get your start writing animation? Uh, well, I got a, a graduate degree in screenwriting from the uh -huh. University of Texas. And I moved out to L.A. to become a primetime drama screenwriter, if I could, and figured I'd give myself three years. And if I hadn't made any forward progress by then, I would, uh, I would quit and move back to Texas or go somewhere else. And um, indeed, my, my first job was on a primetime soap opera. Um, I was a writer's assistant on the Aaron Spelling 
pot boiler, uh, Savannah. And if Excellent. you remember that show, you're one of three. Um, <laughs> and I was fortunate enough to be promoted to staff writer on that show pretty much right before it was canceled. So oh. I was able to get an agent out of that, right. uh, but I didn't have any scripts that were produced. And a lot of the meetings that I had had when I first moved to L.A. were with animation studios, which tend to be a little more receptive to new talent than you know, the networks and primetime shows. Sure. So after uh, wandering around L.A. for about a year and a half after Savannah doing odd jobs and, and temp work, I got a phone call from my prior agent saying, uh, um, do you think we could ever work together again? Because one of your scripts, one of your spec scripts had gone across the uh, desk of the guy who was starting up the writing on the Wild Thornberries. Hmm. And they wanted to use me as a uh, uh, freelancer for one of the first episodes. So we made that work. And literally everything has come out of that first gig, uh, writing for Wild Thornberries. I I got the ball rolling and, uh, and it hasn't stopped. And it's been about... I don't know. It's been about 15 years. So it might have been serendipitous that uh, uh, Savannah went down the tubes. Otherwise, you may have been writing <laughs> nighttime. It, it uh, might have been. Um, it, it might have been. Although it would have certainly been fun to keep going on Savannah. Sure. We had a lot of fun on that show. Uh, but either way, I'm just really glad that it's worked out. That I've been able to keep doing what I love to do for a living. Right. Um, now you've been a comic book fan since you were young. Uh, what are some there. of your favorite titles? I grew up uh, reading a lot of stuff. I mean, I grew up reading everything I could get my hands on at the drugstore or at, at the convenience store. Um, but early favorites were uh, were always Aquaman mm-hmm. and the Legion of Superheroes. Oh, cool. Uh, I, I was a big fan of both books, and, and uh, I would love to, to have the chance to write those characters someday. Uh, I've loved all the characters I've had a chance to write. Uh, getting a chance to write Adam Strange was a lot of fun. Getting a chance to write Animal Man was a lot of fun. Writing Batman Beyond is incredible. Um, there's there's a ton of characters I haven't written that I would still love to, but early on, the ones I really zeroed in on were Aquaman and the Legion. Oh, cool. Um, now, you do something that I found, I just stumbled upon, but I, I find really, really interesting. Um, sort of like uh, DVDs have, you know, filmmaker commentaries, um, you know, for movies and television series. You actually do a writer's commentary on YouTube uh, for Batman Beyond, which, again, yeah. I find completely fascinating and uh, completely unique. But I've never seen anything like it. Um, can you discuss, like, who came up with that idea and what was the impetus behind it? Um, it was It was just, it was, I don't know if other writers have done this for their comics. I imagine probably somebody has. Um, I don't, I don't pretend to be the, the creator of this idea. Um, but it, it occurred to me separate of seeing someone else do it. Um, and it was just all about trying to figure out another way to get the word out about the book to fans. Mm -hmm. Um, and another, another thing that I could do personally, uh, to spread the word about the book, um, and not have to rely on others to, to do it. Um, and I thought, you know, it's pretty easy. It's got to be pretty easy to upload a YouTube video. Uh, God knows enough people have done it, even though right. I hadn't done it to, right. to that point. Uh, so what can I provide people other than a commercial uh, for the comic? And I thought, well, when I was, you know, strictly a fan of comics, um, I would have liked nothing more than to be able to sit down with the comic book's creators, you know, Paul Levitz on The Legion, uh, after an issue had come out, and I had all these questions about where this character came from and and why the plot was moving in this direction and and what I wouldn't have given for a look behind the curtain. 
And right. uh, I thought, well, maybe I could do something like that for YouTube. So the idea of a, a writer's commentary came very directly out of what DVDs do with their you know, directors and cast commentary tracks. So uh, I set about trying to figure out how to use iMovie and, and make one. And it turned out to be pretty easy. Um, and, uh, and it seems to have gone over pretty well. We talk about not just you know, stuff that happens in a particular panel, in a particular issue, but also you know, general thoughts about, about characters, general mm-hmm. thoughts about the world of Batman Beyond. Um, we set up a special email address for, for fans to, uh, to send questions to, and sometimes we'll, we'll answer questions on the, the video cast if they seem to be universal questions that a lot of people are having. I say we, it's just me, there's no code. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's just me sitting in my office talking about the book for eight or ten minutes and hopefully giving fans um, a little extra information and insight into uh, what the book is all about. And uh, it's done pretty well. We did an introductory podcast or uh, a video, I guess I should say, that just right. outlined what we were going to do. And after about two months, that had something like 1,600 views, right, right. which doesn't sound like a whole lot, but when you compare it to the total sales of a, uh, a monthly comic book, it's a pretty good percentage. Um, and then the second one we did, which was for the first issue that was printed, mm-hmm. went up to something like 3,000 views after yeah. two weeks. And the most recent one we did for the second issue had 3,000 views after two days. Right, right. So people seem to be finding it. People seem to be getting some stuff out of it. We get a lot of really good questions and a lot of good feedback and interaction with the fans out of it. Mm-hmm. And just whatever we can do to be uh, as fan-friendly as possible. We want to be accessible. Right. We want to be fan-friendly. We want to be a book that uh, that fans feel like they're invested in and, and can have a voice in or at least have some connection to the people who are doing the book. Right. Well, I mean, one of the things I found fascinating about it in particular was, yes, you obviously talk about the storyline and you know plot and all that kind of stuff, um, but you also talk about the technicalities of it in terms of uh, specific panels, why they were done in a specific way. Um, like you, there was one where uh, you had written, I guess, in the script that, uh, you know, uh, it was like looking through Batman's viewpoint. And, and I guess Norm Brayfogel had drawn it through that through the the eye holes from Batman's costume. But it didn't yeah, look which technical. Was a brilliant idea, by the you way. You guys discussed it and went back and he made changes to it. I mean, things like that that are... You know, more technical than anything, I think, for fans also can find also can find fascinating and informational. Well, and also it outlines the collaborative nature of the process. Absolutely. Um, you know, normal show uh, show me roughs of of what he's going to be putting down on the page, and I'll say, this is fantastic. You know, this is well beyond any idea that I had had for it. Or I'll say, you know, what if we do this? Do you think that would improve it? And he'll agree or he'll disagree. Uh, and it's fun to have that kind of communication with, with the artist. Uh, Norm and I have never met. Um, our only communication is via email and occasionally phone. Sure. So the chance to interact with him like that in a way that makes the book hopefully better uh, is a lot of fun. Um, and uh, And I'm glad that technology allows us to do that. I think it, it just makes for better comics across the board. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, um, and so if, if fans, <clears throat> excuse me, fans do want to uh, check it out, and I you know, encourage fans and you know, uh, comic book pr- perspective, comic book creators, writers, whatever, to take a look. Because again, there's a lot of technical stuff that shows, you know, talks about the collaborative aspect of, of you know, making a book. 
uh, as well as uh, you know your decision making process in a lot of a lot of ways, which I think is interesting. Uh, they can go to its YouTube user ID. It's, it's Wayne Incorporated. Uh, yeah. Or they can email you, right, at batmanbeyondcommentary at gmail.com. That's yes, correct. that's okay. correct. Excellent. Um, yeah, they can get to it either way. I mean, I, if you just go to YouTube and type in Batman Beyond Writer's Commentary, it'll pop up. Um, I should say that the, the idea for this has sort of been a long, a long time in gestating. Mm-hmm. I actually had the idea for it back when I was writing Wildcats for oh, Wildstorm. Okay. Right. When it seemed to me that we were enough off in our own corner of comics that we could do something like this and sure. uh, and let it sort of succeed and fail on its own. And Wildcats had a very vocal fan following, mm. and um, I was very active on the message boards for that. And so I sort of ran it by the fans there, um, including a, a guy who's become a friend of mine named Stryker. Uh, and they were very enthusiastic and supportive of the idea. Now, Wildcats was canceled before we could actually get that up and running but right, it was right. an idea that stuck with me and and uh came over to batman but i think it would have been fun on on wildcats as well i think it'd be fun for any book yeah no absolutely and i think you know like you said before i think it builds an audience but it's also very helpful to you know i mean uh, most comic book fans or at least uh you know a sizable majority i would assume have you know whether they're realistic or serious or not you know some aspirations of you know creating their own comic books. And again, there's a lot of information there, I think, that can go a long way in towards, you know, that creative process, seeing I hope how, so. how, how you guys do it. Um, yeah, I hope so. I hope it, it hits fans on a number of levels. I hope it it satisfies the, you know, the fanboy questions that people will have and also sure. gives some insight to the creative process. That's what we're going for. Absolutely. Um, now, I just had a couple technical questions. Uh, in, sure. in, in one of the episodes of the uh, Batman Beyond writer's commentary i think was the first one uh you mentioned how the colorist uh, in one particular page how the colorist used muted tones and how you know you liked that and things like that now when obviously when you give a script to an artist you know they know what to draw now what sort of discussion right. if any is done between you and the colorist very little i don't know a whole lot about the subtleties of that world and I know very little about the psychology of, you know, if you put a certain color on a page in a certain kind of scene, it'll affect the audience without them knowing it in this sort of way. Um, I've worked with some amazing colorists uh, over the years, like David Barron and now Andrew Elder. Uh, and these guys are just masters at what they do. And they really know how to uh, bring added emotion to a scene um, just by putting, you know, a certain degree of color to one thing or another. I will say that Norm has a lot more contact with Andrew uh, on Batman Beyond than I do. Right. Um, and I think that their collaboration has really paid off in, as far as what I'm seeing in the book. My comments tend to come a little more after the fact when I see the colors in, in the scans. If I see something that, that I feel isn't, isn't necessarily working, I may have a note about it that I'll pass on to the editor or to Andrew or... Uh, if I see something that I really love, you know, I'll make a point of saying, saying so. Um, but Norm probably has more contact with Andrew about that stuff than I do. Um, and then I also had a question, just, just a side question that I thought was interesting. Now, writing Batman specifically, yeah. do you yeah. actually write sound effects like thud and thwack and <laughs> buzz in your scripts? Or is I, it something that you have I, an artist or letterer freelances on? Uh, I I write them in, oh, excellent. Uh, excellent. and and most of the time they make their way into the uh, the actual 
uh, comic. Um, Norm will will include them in his in his roughs, right. uh, uh, and sometimes he'll he'll change one or two, uh, usually to something better that fits a little better. Um, <laughs> but that's one of the one of the perks of writing comics is that you get to do your own sound effects. Excellent. Uh, and I really enjoy it. I always have. Um, it's it, it's a lot of fun to do. I I love. I used to love when when artists would um, make sound effects like a graphic element in the actual story. I don't know how far back you go with comics, but right, right. Walt Simonson in his early work uh, did it all the time and yeah. used sound effects lettering to, to I think, great effect. Marshall Rogers did the same thing. Right, right. And I think that sound effects can really uh, uh, help affect the tone um, of a book when they're, when they're done really well in place right and, and look great. And, uh, and Norm is great at that. And I think the sound effects really help our book maintain its animated kind of feel mm-hmm. while at the same time giving a sort of physical immediacy to the action that you're seeing on the page. Right. Right. Um, now switching gears, a mutual friend of ours, uh, Brian, uh, showed me your graphic novel Hench, uh, which I yeah. thought was fantastic. Uh, and for those Thank of you, you who haven't read or heard of Hench yet, uh, it's really a terrific story about an injured ex-football player who takes a job as a henchman for a supervillain, you know, to kind of pay the bills, um, which, again, is, is what we discussed earlier. It's one of those ideas that, I mean, it's, it just hits you over the head. It's like, wow, that's why didn't I think of that? You know, that's uh, where did the where did it originate from? Where did you come up with? That? I've probably had that idea since I started reading comics. Okay. And uh I saw the you know the cover of Amazing Fantasy number fifteen, the Spider-Man cover, and no, I don't go back that far reading comics. But, <laughs> uh, having seen it in a reprint volume somewhere, where Spider-Man's swinging across the skyline and he's got a a thug underneath his arm that he's sure. taking to jail, and my thought was, okay, that's Spider-Man, I get that. Who's the guy under his arm? How did he get there? What choices did he make in his life that brought him to that point? And what is he thinking right now at this moment? Right. And then, you know, you go on and you watch the the Batman television show from the 60s, and there are these guys that are dressed like, you know, uh, question marks running around after the Riddler and letting Batman punch the crap out of them. And you think (laughs) to yourself, why on earth would these guys choose a job like this? There's got to be something better for them to do. What would drive you to be in that spot? And from out of thoughts like that came the idea for Hench and the the larger plot, uh, which is how would it affect you know, your family life, how would it affect you as a, as a person, um, the long-term ramifications of working for these people. Uh, you know, it's the kind of uh, in-depth uh, realism thoughts that, that right. have people that look at comic book fans and go, oh my God, this guy is way too deep into this. <laughs> but, uh, um, but for me, it was fascinating and a lot of fun. And there was something universal about it. There are a lot of people in life who make uh, choices maybe they wish they hadn't or felt forced into choices about how to live their lives. And following them through that can be can be pretty fascinating. No, absolutely. And I think that, again, you're taking a character that's so common, the, you know, the henchman, and take, looking at it from their point of view, which is a completely unique perspective, which I thought was uh, what made right. it so kind of brilliant. Well, that's uh, one of my favorite things to do is to sort of look at the, the world of superheroes and supervillains through um, eyes that maybe you're not used to seeing them through. One of the first uh, comics I wrote for DC was an issue of uh, Legends of the Dark Knight that was told entirely through the point of view of a teenage boy who happens to see Batman uh, on his evening patrol uh, going by the same route. Uh, 
Right, right. And he goes by the same building every night. And so he gets the bright idea to bring a date to watch <laughs> Batman swing by and use that as a way to pick up chicks. Um, and I, I like finding those kinds of uh, niches that maybe haven't been explored uh, that are windows into the superhero, supervillain world. Right. Um, Hench is one of those, and, and we try and do those you know, whenever we can sneak them in into other stories. Right, which, I mean, really does give it sort of that human feel, you know, yeah. like telling stories through other people's perspectives instead of just, you know, Batman. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's a lot easier to relate to that teenage kid Absolutely. or to relate to that hench guy who doesn't have all the superpowers than it can be to relate to Superman. Right. No, absolutely. Now, Hench, I know, was uh, in development with Danny McBride and Warner Brothers uh, and actually yeah. working on a Hench sequel. Uh, can you tell right. me what the status of Hench is and when we can expect new Hench? Uh, <laughs> kind of stuff? Uh, yeah, no, we were very lucky with uh, with the original graphic novel in that uh, uh, Warner Brothers had some interest in it and uh, thought it would be a good vehicle for Danny McBride. Uh, Danny read it and he really liked it and wanted to to uh, attack it as a feature with himself in the lead and as a co-writer on the script. And uh, they worked on it for a couple of years and Danny and a writing partner turned in a first draft of a script that everybody really liked and felt like it was you know, on its way to being a really, really good script. Um, but Danny, as everybody knows, is a very busy guy. Sure. And he's working on a ton of projects all the time. And he had to go off and do a couple of films and a couple of seasons of Eastbound and Down. He wasn't going to be able to get back to uh, Hench anytime in the foreseeable future. Um, and Warner Brothers was like, great, we'll wait. But uh, they didn't want to uh, uh, continue to pay for the option on the property. And there were some other avenues that we wanted to explore with the property. Mm -hmm. So um, we decided to, to ask for the rights back, and they've given us the rights back, and we're now exploring those other avenues. Uh, and uh, we'll see what, what comes of it. Uh, as far as the sequel to Hench, I should say that that is strictly uh, a sequel in the graphic novel sense. Uh, mm -hmm. There's no like sequel to any movie or TV property or whatever. Right, it's right. just another graphic novel. Um, I shouldn't say just another. <laughs> but uh, I've been working on it for a number of years. Hench came out in 2004, believe mm -hmm. it or not. And I've been working on the sequel probably since 2007. And, um, and it's had a lot of ups and downs. Um, the original Hench was published by uh, AIT Planet Lair, to whom I will be eternally grateful for getting that work out there. Larry Young is a great pal of mine. Uh, his wife, Mimi Rosenheim, is also a wonderful person and a great friend of mine. And uh, the sequel is going to be published um, independent of, of them. Um, I'm going to republish the original book, Hench, uh, in tandem with the new material. So it'll be one big collected edition right. uh, and put it out through Amazon so that fans that want it can go directly to the site and just get it straight from them. Hoping to have that out you know, by summertime or late in the summer. I'm just getting the lettered pages back cool. from the, uh, the letterer on the, the new material. It looks amazing. Uh, the new graphic novel is drawn by a, a good friend of mine, Ethan Beavers who's taking over for Manny Bella, who did such a great job on the first book. And uh, I'm really excited. I'm, I'm excited after all this time to finally tell the second part of the story and, uh, and to get it out there. Um, it, it's uh, been a long road, and I'll be glad to finally be able to hold it in my hands and turn the pages and see the, the, the story continue. Right. Well, I mean, and hopefully uh, somebody else will uh, develop it, because, I mean, it is such a great idea that you know, I can't imagine... Uh, somebody not grasping onto it. So uh, 
Thank you. I, yeah. I hope so too. Uh, there's there is interest, and uh, I would say that the future looks pretty bright for the property and in other Excellent. media. Excellent. Yeah. Um, now, just on a, a, a side note, that uh, I wanted to mention, uh, you are a huge basketball fan, a huge yes. Phoenix Suns fan in particular. Yes, God help me. Very popular living in Los Angeles. Um, oh, you have no idea. <laughs> uh, and you read a Suns blog. How did that come about? I do. What? What? what how did you? Um, I, I had a, a on the NBA on the Suns NBA page, right? On yeah, on Suns dot com. Yeah. Um, and uh, I write the super fan blog or whatever they 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 choose to call it, which is very flattering. Yeah. Um, but I have a friend from years past who wound up getting a job with the Suns in their web. Uh, 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 web media uh, department, and right. uh, through him, I was able to sort of get into the Suns' offices and meet the people that he worked with, and have a lot of interaction uh, with the team that most fans don't normally get. Which was, of course, you know, I was a kid in a candy store for that. Sure. And uh, in 2006, when the Suns were going to be doing their training camp over in Treviso, Italy, as part of the NBA Europe's program, um, I- I'd never been to Italy. Uh, and I love the Suns. So I wrote the Suns. Uh, I wrote my friend's boss, and I said, hey, I'm going to be, coincidentally, over in Italy at the same time the Suns are there. Um, Is there any way that I could help out at training camp? I don't know how much staff you have going, but is there anything I can do? Um, And I hadn't even bought a ticket to Italy. I was seeing (laughs) if the Suns were interested in having, you know, a free... Uh, a free set of hands to work there. Right. And they said, uh, yeah, sure. You know, the, my friend's boss was, is a big comic book fan and oh. uh, he liked my stuff and he knew that I knew how to put words together. And so I bought a ticket to Treviso along with a, another buddy of mine. And uh, we flew over there and hung out at the Suns training camp for three days and uh, got to interview the team for the website and get audio bites for the, for the web and, um, it was a blast. It was just a great time. And I got to know the people who were involved with the team on a, on a closer basis. Right. And I wrote about the experience and sent it into the Suns afterwards and said, if you think this would be fun for the website, you know, you're more than welcome to print it. And they did, and it got a good reaction. And um, then I asked if I could do sort of a semi-regular blog, just talk about my memories of growing up with the team mm-hmm. or my thoughts on the current team or right. – you know, anything to do with the team. And uh, my friend's boss, uh, his name is Jeremy, uh, said, yeah, we'd be happy to have whatever you wanted to send us. Um, and so I do that, you know, uh, as regularly as I can. Generally, every couple of weeks, uh, send in something that occurs to me, uh, whether it's funny or, or uh, thoughts on the current team, which, which isn't, so, aren't, isn't so funny. Um, uh, and uh, it's been a great experience. It's just a, it's, it's really fun to be involved with your favorite childhood team uh, in some small capacity. And I feel like in my own way, I'm a member of the team. Very cool. So you uh, weren't able to be an NBA player, but you found your way onto an NBA team in any case. Um, Yes. Next best thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah. It turns out there's not a lot of market for uh, five, nine guys (laughs) who are really slow and can only go to their left and really don't have a jump shot. Yeah, I can see how that might be limiting. Uh, although the Charlotte Bobcats might still sign you. That's true. It's true. <laughs> um, they'll sign anybody else, it seems like, right? It, it sounds like it, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll call up Michael Jordan tomorrow. <laughs> see if he'll huh. sign you to a, a 10-day contract. Sure, my it buddy just, Mike. It couldn't do any worse, yeah. right? Exactly. Um, <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, we're nearing the end of the segment, and we, we have a little segment we like to call Rapid Fire. 
it's it's just either or it's like half a dozen either or questions that I wanted to run by you. Okay. Um, better snack cake, Hostess or Little Debbie? Wow, Hostess. Better point guard, Steve Nash or Kevin Johnson? Wow. Oh, you're asking me to pick between my kids. I am. This is the Sophie's Choice of podcast, <laughs> dude. That is awful of you. <laughs> oh man. Oh, we, we, oh, we have the hardest questions on this podcast. I suppose hard-hitting. I have to. No softball. I, you know, I I grew up watching KJ, um, uh-huh. and so there's a there's a special place in my heart for him. I'm gonna say KJ. I'm gonna say okay. KJ. Steve Nash has two MVPs. I know he won two MVPs. He's a fantastic player. Yeah. He's the face of the franchise. He's awesome. Yep. But I think sometimes the players you see when you're a little younger and it's sure. more your formative years make more of an impression on you. Sure. Fair enough. Um, better Batman. Christian. Now I'm going to get hate mail. Thanks a lot. <laughs> oh, man. You knew the dangers of coming on the show. when That was awful of you. <laughs> well, here's <laughs> another. Better Batman. Christian Bale or Adam West? Christian Bale. Uh, more catchy theme song, Scooby-Doo, you know, the Scooby-Doo Where Are You theme song, or Pink Panther sure. from Henry Mancini? Uh, Pink Panther. Okay. Pink Panther. Uh, Always go with Henry Mancini. Yeah, that's probably a good moniker, a good, you know, in life dealing with, uh, yep. when, whenever in doubt, go with Henry Mancini. That is my motto. Go with, yeah. go with Henry Mancini. Um, okay, better henchman title, a toady or a flunky? Toady or flunky? Uh, I'm going to say flunky. Okay. It's and, more fun to say. Yeah, yeah, that's true, and it doesn't give you just bad images of amphibians. Yeah, yeah. Uh, better henchman, Luca Brasi or Roscoe P. Coltrane? Oh, Luca Brasi. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> yeah, we have to throw, you know, a curveball. I know, I know. Um, well, Don't get me wrong, I'm sure Roscoe's a great guy. Yeah. But, I mean, uh, but Luca set the mold. Sure, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Without Luca, there would be no Roscoe. Yeah, exactly. I like to think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, that's all the time we have for now. My thanks to Adam for joining us today. Uh, you can follow Adam on Twitter at, at Sonova. Actually, I wanted to ask you, where does that come from, at Sonova, your Twitter name? It's actually Sonova, um, and it's S-O-N-N-O-V as in Victor A, at Sonova. Uh, and Sonova is a nickname that uh, uh, my friend who worked for the Suns, actually, uh, years before, he and I worked at a TV station in Chicago. And when I would walk into the, the sports department, he would look up and he would yell, son of a beachin'. <laughs> and I would, you know, yell something back and then we'd start our day. And so son of a stuck with me sort of ever since. It was my first email handle. It was, uh, it was you know. It, it, it was a big part of, of, uh, of my online identity for, for a long time. So I have uh, hung on to it where I could. And so now it's my Twitter handle. So if anybody wants to hear my you know, musings about ideas, big and small, it's at Sonova, S-O-N-N-O-V-A. There you go. Um, yeah. and, and for more information on the show, including a Q&A print interview with Adam, uh, please visit our website at scriptsandscribes.com. And we also have links for everything we spoke about with Adam uh, at scriptsandscribes.com backslash Adam Beechin. Uh, so check that out, including all the YouTube stuff, um, which, again, I recommend you check out if uh, you're either a fan of, of Batman Beyond or you know just a comic uh, a creator, an artist, writer, who you can learn a lot from that. Uh, the uh, video podcast, I guess it would be called, or... Long yeah, or something. something like that. Yeah. Video cast. 
Excellent. And if you have questions about the craft or business of writing, feel free to send us an email to ask at scriptsandscribes.com or send us a tweet at scriptscribes. There's no and in the middle there, just at scriptscribes. Thanks for listening. <laughs>